Lots of really great digital transformation happening at Burger King and across the QSR industry. What I was brought in to help with is exactly that. It's looking at the importance of digital on that whole market, that whole industry, to bring greater convenience to the guest, to bring greater personalization, and really expand the reach beyond the drive-through. That's in a lot of ways the biggest competitor to digital transformation in the industry because the drive-through is already fairly fast and straightforward. So how can we help them get delivery to their home? How can we help them have a better pickup experience? How can we help them with curbside table service to see other ways to fit this into their lives when they're not you know, right around the corner from a Burger King? this. You're driving down the road and you see a familiar sign that gets your stomach grumbling. So you quickly pull into the drive-thru, place an order, and within minutes, you're enjoying a tasty bite of what you've been craving. That's not a hard scenario to imagine. Odds are we've all gone through the exact sequence of events in our lives. And that's great for those businesses and even for other stores where the foot traffic drives people in to shop. But that kind of customer isn't the only one you should be relying on. Even if you're in the fast food industry, Smart operators know that there are huge portions of the population who don't often find themselves in those serendipitous moments when they can make that impulsive decision to buy something right on the spot. Angelo Frigo is one of those smart operators. And as the head of customer experience at Burger King, he's trying to move beyond the drive-through and reach customers in new, exciting ways, particularly online and through Burger King's digital app. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Angela and I go into some of the ways businesses can think about targeting and engaging with customers outside of in-person and spur-of-the-moment experiences. Plus, we also dug into Angelo's background, which is super fascinating and includes stops at McDonald's, Feeding America, and even the White House. Enjoy. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to our weekly e-commerce newsletter at mission.org slash upnext in commerce. It's amazing. It's great. You will learn a lot of good things. Go subscribe. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at mission.org. Today on the show, we have Angelo Frigo, who serves as a head of customer experience at Burger King. Angelo, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So you have a very cool background. Very, very impressive. (laughs) You've gone from McDonald's to Feeding America to the White House to now Burger King. And I actually wanted to start all the way at the beginning. 
and hear about how you even got into the world of customer experience and what your journey was like through all of that. So I was originally an engineer and was a practicing engineer doing project management and really just got excited about business growth and helping the company that I was working for explore new areas, get into new areas of business. In this case, it was underwriters laboratories and they didn't have a sustainability initiative. They didn't have an initiative to help companies certify their products for sustainability. They were exclusively testing for human safety, but not for environmental safety. So really got the bug of just general entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, helping to think through new strategies and growth opportunities and adjacencies for that business. Didn't know all that at the time, but got a chance to pitch an idea like that to the chief marketing officer. And um, that person, as well as a couple other people, told me that, you know, maybe I should be looking into that realm of, of business and went to graduate school at a program called the Institute of Design in Chicago, which really changed my world. It is a design program, but it really focuses on how design creates value for, for businesses beyond just the look and feel of a product and looks at the whole business as an opportunity for creative exploration and, and new ideas and innovation. I spent the formative years of, of my career sort of finishing school at a, at a firm called Doblin, which does that professionally. And to me, customer experience has really kind of emerged out of the design world in the way that customer experience is kind of the, the management of the, of the value that design brings. Design looks holistically and looks at the, the end-to-end for creating value for, for customers and understanding the human experience. And CX is a, is a way to manage return on investment for creating value through design. That's really where it all started at Doblin as a consultant. And when I left there to start my own practice and join McDonald's, customer experience really took off with Agile and, and Lean and, and other digital product management practices. It's grown tremendously since then and spent some time at Feeding America after McDonald's as even in the nonprofit sector, they're starting to look at that customer experience too, which is, which is really exciting. Happy to talk more about that. And then an opportunity that I was incredibly excited to participate in at the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program at the White House. I was selected to be the, the representative for the Office of Management and Budget, their first advisor on customer experience. Still fairly new, uh, customer experience still fairly new in the government sector. And a lot of really great things happening there. And now back to the QSR industry, which I actually really, really enjoy because it touches so many people's lives and it has that added challenge of, of needing to blend the digital and the physical, which I really enjoy getting into the operations side of fulfilling on the promise of digital convenience. Wow, that's cool. Okay, so then to go back from McDonald's to Feeding America, like what does it look like building customer experience for you know, a company like McDonald's to then going to a nonprofit that has very different resource, you know, resource issues probably and thinks about things very differently. Like, what was that jump like? There was a bit of an adjustment <laughs> going from having a large team to having a fairly small team, needing to make some compromises that I wouldn't have previously been comfortable mm-hmm. with around quality and the ability to assure a great experience for the customer. At the same time, surprising amount of, of interest and really importance Of course, we come to an opportunity like Feeding America with a a lens around how we can create convenience and better speed of service. I think what I understood less going in was the importance of stigma in that sector Mm -hmm. and the importance of sort of anonymity. 
with customer experience, you try to find a right balance of, you know, do you have a lot of human touch point? Do you try to bring the human element into it so that there is that connection uh, when they're picking up their food? In some cases, people want that to be invisible Mm -hmm. and they want themselves to be invisible. So mobile ordering and, and pick up for food in that space of folks who are food insecure is growing rapidly in at cross feeding America, their network of 200 food banks. And uh, I think it really can, can transform how comfortable people are, mm-hmm. especially when they're, they're early having, having just maybe slipped into being food insecure and still not wanting to go and, and take that because in many cases it's, somebody who just wants somebody who's more in need to have that. But uh, for anybody, anybody listening, there's, there's plenty of food and it is for you. So I, I really encourage you to, to go and take up Feeding America on, on what they can do. Mm-hmm. Good to hear. Very, I'm sure, different perspective, different style of customers and a lot of learnings that went into that. So then you jump to the White House. And I mean, when I think about customer experience and government, it's hard for me to maybe put two and two together. So like, what did you do there? What was your project? What were you working on? Sure. There's a, there's a team at the Office of Management and Budget that's focused on customer experience from a performance perspective. Mm-hmm. And first thing really is just helping them understand what we mean by, by service design and the experience with a service as delivered by a program. In the government space, just to give a sense of sort of hierarchy of terms, there are departments and agencies at the highest level, sort of Department of Homeland Security. Then there are multiple agencies within those enormous organizations. Food and Nutrition is an agency and the Department of Agriculture. And there are programs then within those agencies, like the Women, Infants, and Children program. And then those agencies deliver services, just helping agencies understand that service delivery is a, is a priority and can be improved and that they have a responsibility to improve that even though their program may be administered by states. Mm -hmm. Sure, yes, those programs may be administered by an entirely different federal, (laughs) non-federal entity. Figuring out how that is an important priority for for the agency in terms of uptake of, of usage of the benefits that they're trying to offer. That was step one. And step two is really just helping understand that customer experience is more than just customer support. A lot of agencies think that customer experience is, is what happens when they call in for, for help mm-hmm. and that they measure satisfaction of those calls or interactions with their call center or their support center. It's, of course, so much broader than that. And trying to preempt those calls from ever happening in the first place is where we're trying to move them. So what were some of maybe stories around like things that you were trying to implement? Were there any surprises as you were trying to move forward and you know, teaching them while also trying to you know, get things done? What did it look like behind the scenes there? Sure. So for folks who are really interested in this topic, I would point them to an article on The Atlantic called The Time Tax, um, really terrific, really well written on this topic that Cass Sunstein has also really written a book on that he calls Sludge. Pam Hurd, Don Moynihan speak about administrative burden. And uh, so a, a lot of really smart people talking about this topic and the customer experience and, and customer experience design, service design are more the solution to the problem, but the, the problem is burden. And burden is the equivalent term in government for, for friction in the e-commerce world. Uh, reducing friction from that experience is obviously commonplace. They use a little bit of a different term there. 
And Burden, just a little bit of history there, was identified a problem with the Bush administration, the Paperwork Reduction Act, is a, a law that went into place and established an organization called the Office of Information Regulatory Affairs to help agencies reduce the burden of paperwork on businesses and, and the public. But fast forward a couple of decades, and we're still doing that very poorly. The way in which burden is measured is in some ways limited by that original definition as, as paperwork. We all know if you, know, you need to do your taxes or apply for a passport or go through TSA, get through an airport, any of these services that these agencies and programs administer. The paperwork is important, no doubt, to minimize that and, um, and streamline that. But that's a minor fraction of really the entire experience. So from a customer experience designer, we're looking at the whole end-to-end and they don't measure service time from end to end for uh, for their participants, for the public. Yeah, We did a little work here, and in some cases we found that agencies were, by just measuring only the paperwork, they were, they were only accounting for a few percentage points, a few minutes of what could be hours of an experience to get through. So people know this just intuitively, you know, that takes hours. They're just not thinking about that, that entire end-to-end experience. So the end point here is that by recognizing that some of these programs take a long time to get through, if they were to account for that and think about the cost of that, because it's you know sometimes there are hundreds of millions of people that are using these programs, we're looking at upwards of it could be a trillion dollars in annual lost you know, opportunity cost because of the amount of time that the entire U.S. population and uh, just the public at large needs to spend going through government services that are onerous and not thoughtful of their time. So was there any maybe learnings that you could actually take from government and then bring to Burger King? Or was it so wildly different where it's like actually could only be the other way around? Oh, that's a, that's a, I mean, the intent of the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program that Obama stood up and made permanent with his last action in office was to just to bring the expertise of the private sector to government. Yep. That's the main intent there. And to provide an opportunity for technologists and, and designers to do a year of service and, and give back, uh, which is what really attracted me to it. That's the main intent. Anytime you enter a new space where a concept is new, you have to really use plainer language, you know, for how you talk about things. I needed to adjust some of the industry lexicon of, of terms and uh, just explain customer experience in a way that, uh, that anyone can understand. And I think that's just generally a good thing <laughs> to bring back to the private sector too. Yeah. When thinking about, you know, these government programs and you're there kind of auditing and looking at these different customer experiences of them, which I'm sure is very difficult. Like you said, there's so many. What maybe is one tangible story of something you looked at and, you know, you maybe were trying to figure out the ROI of, you know, should we make this a better customer experience? How do I think about that? Like auditing it in general. Do you have any stories around that? Sure. Yep. We audited several services that are delivered by what are called high impact service providers in, in government. That's a term being used by the Office of Management and Budget to think through which agencies have the most impact on the public's lives. And SSA is a part of that. The Department of Revenue is a part of that, uh, doing your taxes. And, and also the FNS, Food and Nutrition Services, including the, the WIC program, is part of that. And WIC is an interesting one that we, we looked at. Because uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that half of the, uh, the mothers in the country use the WIC program to get food for the babies and get nutrition and health services 
for themselves and, and their babies. So it, it really does affect a lot more people than people realize. And it provides a, a ton of benefit to them in terms of just reducing the costs to raise a child. It is a bit onerous to go through. There are really extensive eligibility checks just to get approved to get those WIC benefits. Of course, this is this is meant in the spirit of program integrity to make sure that it's not being abused as a, as a government program, which is super important too. And that's often the trade-off to customer experience simplicity and making things really, really easy and low friction. So this trade-off between, between friction and customer experience and program integrity is one that we looked at really closely. So with WIC, a mother starting this program um, may not even know about it, but they may, may hear about it through word of mouth or they may have seen it from a state website and uh, they may start their experience with trying to find a place where they can go and fill out paperwork. They may try to fill out the paperwork online. The paperwork alone could take an hour, but then there are also many appointments that they need to take to go in and have their baby weighed to watch mandatory videos around breastfeeding, things like that. This is all friction and the experience of getting, getting signed up. Mm -hmm. And we're not really accounting for all that time that people need to spend to get themselves to these appointments, get themselves back, waiting while they're there, just accounting for that time spent. If agencies were, were to look at that and think about that as, a, as an opportunity cost, mm -hmm. it would be hundreds of millions of dollars. And it would be something that you really start to question whether all these eligibility checks are really, really worth it. And you really start to wonder, should we be relaxing some of these, some of these program integrity rules? Then you look at other countries and other countries, they don't perform the, the WIC program the way, that, the way that we do. They provide maternity benefits and any mother who wants them can get them. I think it's hard to make that argument in our current, current climate where we don't look at time and we don't look at customer experience as a, as a business cost. If we do, it, it makes those simpler, more easier administrated programs like a maternity benefit a lot more rational. So I, I'm hoping that uh, the customer experience push there to, to look at time and look at costs and, and think of customer experience at the same level as an operations expense that can be optimized and, and reduced will help us understand how we could ground up, rethink how we administer these benefits like WIC and so many others that would be um, nearly automatic and just available for everyone. The cost would be less mm -hmm. to just get benefits to every mother who wants it rather than having them go through all these hoops to get these benefits. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense that a lot of different government organizations looking at that right now, I think even like it actually costs way more for a lot of people who, you know, did a crime that's not even a crime anymore and went to jail for something that is now not even illegal. And I think there's a lot of programs like that that could be audited. But then also thinking about, I know you're mentioning opportunity costs, that would only be a net benefit to the economy if they were actually, you know, doing something in the economy, I guess, would be maybe the trade off of if they actually go out and work, then they're bringing, you know, revenue and tax dollars in. But if they're not, then maybe a little bit harder to measure if it's actually a net benefit, minus just taking out the administration cost of all the requirements. Yes, spot on. The current difficulties we have with, with talent and keeping people in their jobs, which we should just make it as easy as possible. And some of these government programs make it hard to keep a job. Yep. If you can't get time off to go and sit and wait in line, or if you have to take days off in order to do those things, it's forcing difficult decisions on, on the public that mm -hmm. if they didn't have to make, it would just make it so much easier to, to stay in their work, which is what they want to be doing. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. 
If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Yeah, yeah. It seems like there's sometimes a lack of long-term thinking around, okay, it might be a short-term you know, expense where you're not getting any benefit to the economy. It's just actually this helping this person. However, after that, they can enter the workforce really quickly afterwards and then be, you know, much bigger of a benefit than wasting time in line and with paperwork and, you know, actually making it way harder up front. Yes. What excites me now, moving from a customer experience designer and a strategist focusing, focusing on the solutions themselves and figuring out how to make those experiences great, design them to be low friction and enjoyable, now moving to be more of a head of customer experience in my current role where I work with designers, but my focus is really on the business side. How are we making sure that we're bringing people in and retaining them, but also just the the cost side of it? Is this saving time? Mm -hmm. Is this increasing value? That's what the important piece is for a customer experience in government is to recognize that there's both the design side of it, as well as the customer experience management side of it, looking at costs and bringing that thinking to the balance sheet so that it's not just a battle between reducing spending on operations, but rather they see that as a cost to mitigate. Yeah. So then, okay, now shifting over to Burger King, where you're at now, which I'm sure is a very different, you know, world. What were you hired for? Like, what was your first 90 days supposed to look like? What were you most excited about changing? So lots of really great digital transformation happening at Burger King and across the QSR industry. What I was brought in to help with is exactly that. It's looking at the importance of digital in that whole industry to bring greater convenience to the guest, to bring greater personalization, and really help expand the reach beyond the drive-through. Mm-hmm. That's in a lot of ways the biggest competitor to digital transformation in the industry because the drive-through is already fairly fast and, and straightforward. How can we help them get delivery to their home? How can we help them have a better pickup experience? How can we help them with curbside table service to see other ways to fit this into their lives uh, when they're not you know, right around the corner from a Burger King? What are ways that you're kind of encouraging people to maybe change their mindset around those experiences? Because you know, when I think about fast food, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go through a drive-through. Oh, there it is, great. Okay, I'm hungry. Like I maybe don't often open up DoorDash and be like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, you know, it's some Burger King, like there's so many options. So how have you guys gone about kind of changing that thought around, you know, actually kind of the industry as a whole and why maybe I can buy in different places. And that's a new cool thing to do. Yeah. I think in general, the quick serve restaurant market is a very impromptu decision. Um, It's something that you're not thinking about until you see the sign in front of you or you're driving around and, okay, I need to, I need to eat within the next 15 minutes or something to that effect. What we try to bring to that is, is, is really just kind of knowing who they are and, and what they like so that they know what they're going to get. It's going to be the way that they want it. 
So the, the customization in the app so that you can set up your favorites, have a, a, a lot of control over every individual component of the meal is, I think, a, a really critical benefit of, of digital services and digital ordering. I want it the way that I've predefined and not have to go through all of those options every single time. Yeah. Or telling someone. Yes. <laughs> Where you're like, no mayonnaise. Yes to mustard. No lettuce. It's like such a long process at a point where I feel like I actually just give up. I'm like, the way it is, is fine. Yes. There's a, there's a lot of stress and in, in drive-through of not wanting to slow down the flow and feeling bad at people behind you if you're taking too much time. So we really try to reduce that stress and, uh, and just have it be a really low stress experience. Mm -hmm. Tell me a bit about the app. So, I mean, it's for ordering, keeping your presets. What else is inside the app and how have you seen it performing? You know, it, certainly we want more of our guests to be to be using it. Um, the ones that do love it, a lot of promotions that, that go through a lot of, lot of ways to um, in, engage them, like the crypto campaign that we recently ran. That's one way which we, we try to engage and just a lot of new products that we want people to be aware of, like the impossible products are, are new, possible nuggets building upon the success of the impossible Whopper. That's something that they use the app for just to browse the menu and see what's there. And then of course, make it really easy to just go through and, and order right from the menu there and pick it up at their convenience. I saw it on your website, it said Burger King with a side of crypto. And I was like, what is that? So tell me more about that. Yes. There's a lot of legal legally that needed to be displayed there on the homepage. So yep. That's not what the the ideal state there, but everyone has you know sort of forgiven us for for that. So the and it's gotten really great uptake, really great reviews. The sentiment score is nearly at a, at a hundred percent. We've seen forty percent increase in downloads from that program. So the idea there really is just is on brand to democratize a trending topic. A lot of people were just interested, but didn't had never really engaged with crypto. Mm -hmm. This is just a a great co brand sweepstakes type offering with Robinhood that really struck a nerve. We're giving away 10 Bitcoin and um, I believe only two have been claimed so far. So if you're get in there, people, any of your, yeah, any of your listeners, they may have one in their inbox waiting for them. So they should make sure that they check that. Come on, everyone. Yes. Once you get people on your app and they come in through a campaign like that, how do you keep them engaged? Because I can see people getting really excited and then what? Like, how do you keep them coming back? So Royal Perks is also new in the app and brings a lot of a lot of fun engagement with accelerators, ways to get extra uh, extra crowns with your order, different quests that you can you can go on to browse different parts of the menu. So we we try to encourage discovery of some of the newer products, mm -hmm. earning accelerators when you try Impossible Nuggets or the Ghost Pepper Nuggets, also a, a big hit. Give them a little bit of a a little bit of a bonus for for trying something that they haven't tried before, while also making their routine orders really really easy. Are there any other brands that you watch when kind of thinking about your user experience and your digital experience? Because I'm even thinking back to my an interview I did a few weeks ago with Walmart, and huh. uh, Cynthia was telling me about her super app that you know they were building and why they took multiple apps and formed it into one, and how to think about that. Is there anyone that you kind of look at and see what they're doing to maybe influence strategy a bit? Oh, absolutely. So, of course, there are the apps in our own industry that we look at and, and benchmark against. Of course, Starbucks is the most successful in terms of digital adoption. We certainly look to them and McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Wendy's, many, many other apps that we look at 
But I also especially like to look outside of our industry for inspiration just because there's, you know, there's a lot of copying. And um, as a customer experience who's really design and innovation minded, I, I really like to bring prototyping as a, as a capability to, to our teams to think through several different ways of solving a problem rather than just gravitating to the one that's the most familiar in, in the industry. Mm-hmm. Looking outside, I'm Big fan of the the Exxon Mobil app, actually. Okay. If you're a driver and you and you like to get gas for that for that car, if you need to get gas for your car, still don't get gas. Uh, so tell me about it. What's nice about it? <laughs> again, as a end to end thinking end to end for customer experience, it's the way into that experience and uh, and the the integration with retail that I find are still big opportunities for for improvement. Um, you can. Certainly make the, the digital experience, you know, seconds, minutes faster. But if it's still going to take a long time at the restaurant, the total time is is the same. And so looking at that retail integration piece, I just think that they did a really great job with app clips and with, with Google Pay integration at the pump. So that when you pull up, I'm in Chicago, it's starting to get cold. You can stay in your car and get all the payment elements sorted away so that you're spending the least amount of time out in the cold pumping gas. And uh, they just have really nice technical integration with, with Bluetooth and GPS and, and NFC codes. So worth looking at. Wow. What are you all exploring around trying to, you know, getting that like omni-channel experience correct? I mean, are you trying to get people to come into the locations more or what does that look like for you all? I mean, we want to serve them wherever they are and wherever they, wherever they want to be served. So delivery, of course, is a huge growth opportunity for the industry. If they want to be at home, we're going to bring it to them. If they want to be at the park, we want to, we want to bring it to them there. Mm-hmm. For those that come to the store, we want them to be able to just kind of have that magic moment where they walk up, the team there hands them their food freshly prepared. It's that timing, it's the handshake between digital and restaurant that is so vexing and uh, and so interesting as a as a challenge. So making sure that you know when they get there, we can use their name to greet them, or what, what we presented to them in the app is a mirror image of what they're going to see when they get there. Same order numbers, things like that. So they know exactly what to do when they when they get there. Again, reducing the stress of that of that real world experience is is top of mind where we're trying to put our big bets. Very cool. So earlier you were mentioning kind of thinking outside the box and prototyping with your team, not trying to copy others. Are there any big projects that you've worked on over the past year that, you know, either you really thought were going to work and then it didn't, or your whole team didn't think it would work and you're like, let's try this anyways. Like any fun stories about projects, like big thinking projects like that that you've worked on? Yeah. So I'll I'll go to a story that has more to do with the person-to-person interactions there. I think Digital experience is, is part of the problem. Um, this is a recurring theme here, but um, getting into the non-digital is equally important. At McDonald's, that has to do with physical environment, of course, but it also has to do with the, the personal interactions that you have with the people that, that you're, you're there meeting. And we all know in the, in the QSR space that sometimes people get, uh, get pretty angry, <laughs> whether that's uh, coffee wasn't the right way or... The line took a lot longer or they were charged improperly. There are a lot of reasons that people get fairly hot and over the collar. Just, uh, you know, it's the worst part of the experience for crew people and, and the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Dealing with nasty customers even ranks higher than dealing with nasty bosses. Mm-hmm. So we had a, a program there where we're trying to improve certainly the, the guest experience, but also improve the employee experience. And the way we went about that, uh, which a lot of people did not have a lot of 
trust in was to do some scenario planning and empathy building um, training. So Mm -hmm. uh, we brought in a group of actors actually to play different customer personas. And we taught the restaurant team, they were acting too. Uh, So they could put, they could put on a different, a, a different persona. They could act like a, like a tour guide, or they could act like a thoughtful host. There were a number of different personas that we let them play the role of and take themselves out of it a little bit uh, to depersonalize that, that interaction a little bit. And just kind of this idea of acting to try to make it fun. So the people would come through the drive-thru and, and the, the crew people wouldn't know what their persona was yet, but uh, maybe it was a, a mother who has, you know, crying babies in the backseat. Or it's a senior who comes there every day and people still forget what he what what he what he wants things like that just to help them understand the backstory that every customer interaction isn't just a moment in time but it's part of a longer continuum of that person's life going through this kind of scenario training and having and acting this out and playing out these scenarios was tremendously fun a lot of laughing and even a lot of crying because they were learning skills on how to deal with angry people and de-escalate that they immediately recognize that they can bring home to their families. So we ran this program with uh, as a pilot with several stores and uh, and turnover at those stores dropped precipitously. Wow. People just were able to tolerate their day more mm-hmm. and tolerate each other more. And uh, I think customer experience really needs to think about the the employee experience and helping them develop those skills. Mm-hmm. especially in our industry where it's many people's first time job, you may be brought up learning to respond to anger with anger. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think there's a tremendous opportunity for customer experience to, to improve the, the human experience. Wow. I love that. That's yeah a very fun scenario to think about. And honestly, any company I think could also use that tactic for just dealing with, like you said, your coworkers and bosses and just thinking about you know, okay, this anger here or frustration might be from something else. And how can I be more empathetic towards that instead of actually, you know, escalating it even more than what it needs to be? That's cool. Very powerful. Let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready? Okay. First, what's your go-to order at Burger King? My go-to order at Burger King. Um, I am a big fan of the chicken. So I'll, I'll go with the chicken. Um, sometimes it's the double junior. Uh, it's also a really great one. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about you? I think, you know, so people have told me that I am tireless and, uh, and that I care deeply about the people that I'm trying to help. So that always just hits, hits me uh, in the feels. So that's, it's even hard to talk about because I just want to get emotional about it. But yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean... I think that's nice to be able to remember what people are saying and bring it back. So that's great. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be? If I were to have a podcast, so going back to the, to the government work, still really hopeful of transformation there. And I would, I would love to, to speak with folks who are leading that. So Cass Sunstein would love to talk with Jason Miller, who's the head of, head of the Office of Management and Budget. Would love to talk with the president about the importance of, of customer experience and public experience. Yeah, I think we need that ASAP. <laughs> so much work seems to still be needed to be done there. They need you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's up next on your reading list? On my reading list, it's not a professional 
book. That's okay. But uh, and I did just finish Cast on Steam's Sludge, so that's what uh, why I had that in mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm reading a book about running. My son and I, uh, he's taking up cross country, and it's become a, a time that he and I get to share together. Cool. Away from my computer, away from his computer, and where we can just be together and have time to have real conversations. So appreciating that time right now. Well, Angelo, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your wisdom and all about Burger King. Where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Certainly the LinkedIn page, try to try to post things there regularly about, about what I'm up to and easy to reach me there. And check out the BK website. A lot of really exciting things happening there. And I uh, would love to know what you think about it. Give me feedback on LinkedIn if you can. Cool. Go get your crypto, everyone. Get your Bitcoin before it's all out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, Angelo. Thanks. everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnext in commerce. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Upnext in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.